I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. Here with the CEO of the Nature Conservancy, Mark Tersek, um, also author of Nature's Fortune, um, and a former Goldman Sachs uh, partner. So Mark, let's just jump in. Great. Um, how does the Nature Conservancy distinguish itself from retail environmentalism? Well, um, TNC, um, I think a couple of things make us a little bit special. We have a lot of respect for all of our peers in the environmental movement. There's room for everybody. Um, but what makes us different and distinct, one, we're very big. Um, we really began as a U.S.-based land trust, and so we attracted a lot of people into the organization as supporters, who often these people didn't even think of themselves as environmentalists. Rather, they wanted to protect something local that they cared about, and they were attracted to our pragmatic, science-based, business-like way of doing things. So that was really a great formula to grow an environmental organization and is a little bit different than most of our peers. And so as a result of that, we've become by far the biggest global environmental nonprofit. We have an operating budget of $600 million a year, almost 4,000 people on our staff, um, some of 600 of whom are scientists. We have a chapter in every one of the 50 states and we operate in another 35 countries. So we're kind of big, we're pragmatic, we are interested in, in deals, in partnering with business people and governments. We're very inclusive. Uh, and while we began as a land trust, um, our predecessors were wise people. And first they appreciated that land issues kind of overlapped with and intersected with water issues and marine issues and policy issues. Mm -hmm. So we became a very diverse 
diversified US-focused organization. But then our predecessors wisely anticipated that what we learned and accumulated know-how in the US would have great applicability internationally. So we became a global organization. You noted that I used to be at Goldman Sachs. I mean, the organization reminds me of Goldman Sachs in some ways. Global, entrepreneurial, deal-oriented, focused on getting things done by bringing people together interested in innovative solutions. So you've been the CEO since 2008. Yes. What can NGOs learn from big business or vice versa? I'm glad you say vice versa because okay. I think the learning can flow both ways. NGOs can learn, um, I think, from big business uh, and business people. And I, I think your students here at the school probably get it. Business people are very good at bringing people together to get things done because they're business people. They want to close the sale. Uh, that reminds me of my days as an investment banker. We only earned our fees if we got the deal done. So we were very focused on getting things done, overcoming differences, learning how to put differences aside and finding common ground. Those are attributes that are really important for environmentalists. Uh, but but not, business people, I think, can learn from uh, nonprofits and environmentalists because um, we're very different. We don't, I thought I was a good manager when I worked at Goldman Sachs. In hindsight, it seems so easy. We had very clear metrics by which to measure mm -hmm. people, and we had great reward systems. We could offer people big bonuses, or they could aspire to become partners. And so um, it was easy to tell who was doing what, and it was easy to motivate folks. In our business, it's a little bit different. The, my colleagues, uh, broadly, at TNC and other organizations, they could make an, a living easier in the private sector, but they choose to be mission dedicated, um, they forego some salary opportunities, um, but to motivate them, and, and you, a leader needs to make sure that the work they're doing every day is fulfilling and aligned with our mission. And so you have to be very thoughtful as a leader or manager about deploying your resources in a way that really allows you to achieve your mission and, and your workforce finds it appealing and fulfilling. And I think the private sector would probably benefit by applying some of those uh, managerial skills. So in the Nature's Fortune, you talk about putting financial value on natural resources. Um, can you give us an example of an ROI for natural resources? Yeah, in Nature's Fortune, I tried to argue, this is the book I wrote, I, I tried to argue that investing in nature is one of the smartest investments we can make. So environmentalists like us at the Nature Conservancy and me, we believe protecting nature is just the morally right thing to do. That's a good enough rationale for us. We love nature, we think we have a moral obligation to turn over to our kids and grandkids natural systems as healthy as the ones we've enjoyed. But that rationale, although it appeals to us and motivates us, that doesn't work for enough people. We need more people and more financial resources on the side of nature. And so it, it seems to me appropriate to think of, of nature as an investment opportunity. And one easy way to do that is to think of nature as infrastructure. Sometimes we call it green infrastructure in contrast to man-made gray infrastructure. And sometimes we call it nature natural capital. We mean the same thing. Uh, an asset base, if you will, that produces services that are really important for humankind. Things like clean air to breathe, healthy food to eat, um, forests to protect topsoil or, or to provide protection from storms and floods, etc. And it turns out, and this, is what, this is what I argue in the book, in almost every area of our work, if you view nature as an investment opportunity, it's a very good deal. Uh, I'll talk a bit, a bit about this when I, when I address your students today. But uh, one example would be oyster reefs. Uh, it turns out in this part of the country, especially in the Gulf, 
there's widespread agreement that the Gulf needs protection from sea level rise and storms due to changing weather patterns. Mm -hmm. And so the classic engineer solution is to build seawalls. And engineers know a lot about seawalls, and indeed, they do provide protection from storms and sea level rise. It turns out oyster reefs provide the same protection and at about the same cost. For a little bit more than a million dollars, you can build a mile of seawall. And for a little bit more than a million dollars, same price, you can build about a mile of oyster reef. Then, so let's compare the green infrastructure to the gray. It's a very favorable uh, comparison for nature. When it comes to providing protection from storms, it's about a tie, uh, as noted. When it comes to the price, it's about a tie, as noted. Afterwards, nature wins by a mile. Um, the, gray, the gray infrastructure, the seawall, like everything that humans build, will depreciate over time. The oyster reef, if you're attentive to it, it will actually grow in value. Uh, second, the oyster reef, of course, isn't a seawall. It's an oyster reef. So you get for free oysters. You get habitat for birds and fish. Um, those oysters, in fact, clean the water. And as the oyster shells nourish, uh, I'm sorry, crumble, uh, the crumbled shells are, are, are pushed up into the shore and they re-nourish the beach. So you get all these additional environmental benefits for free. And so if you put yourself now in the shoes of a, a, a government official responsible for providing protection from storms, uh, we argue you should be investing in nature. And you know, it's not simple. Sometimes the seawall will be necessary because the oyster reef won't apply. Mm -hmm. But it's actually very interesting how often the investment opportunity in nature is the better deal. And that's a way to get more people on our side, more dollars into flowing uh, into protection of nature. That's what my book is about. What is the Nature Conservancy, why do, they, why do you need to partner with notorious polluters? Um, should, you know, I'm sure there's pockets of, of, of your supporters that would say, well, let's just bar them from operating in right. ecologically sensitive areas. Right, your question, the way I hear your question, why do we work with some um, unconventional uh, partners, mm -hmm. sometimes businesses or, or other parties who have been polluters, why would right. we work with some folks, right. such folks? So always the question for us broadly, and for me in particular as CEO, is how can we best achieve our mission? And here's how I'd ask you, our mission is to save the lands and waters that life depends on. So a kind of grandiose mission, but this is very, very important. And we're the biggest and best resource conservation organization. So if we don't really make progress against that goal, we're gonna have trouble. Now, all environmental organizations can be very proud of everything we've accomplished. If you, if you consider what the environmental movement broadly has accomplished, mm -hmm. or just TNC, either way, it's impressive. There's no question about it. And that's mostly due thanks to the generous and passionate support provided by the people who are voluntarily helping us mm -hmm. and our great teams. It's extraordinary. That's the good news. There's bad news, though. If you think about all the things we're trying to protect, they can be measured, and we do measure them, and they're all in decline. Think about it. Rainforests, healthy fisheries, uh, ample topsoil, um, healthy forests, biodiversity itself. We measure these things, notwithstanding all of our great efforts, they're all in decline. Or if you think about something we'd like to have less of, like greenhouse gas emissions that cause climate change, we're working very hard, but we continue to have record highs set. So even though we're proud of all the good work we've done, and we can be, we somehow also have to scale our work up. And when we look forward, it's even going to get tougher because the world's population is growing, the world's middle class is growing, that's good. 
Billions of people will be lifted out of poverty over the next few decades, but as they rise out of poverty, that will mean more demand for food, space, energy, water, more pressure on environmental resources. And on top of that, you have to factor in climate change. So environmentalists, although we're proud of all our good work, we have to get more done. So now the question is, okay, how are you gonna do that? And we think we need an inclusive approach. We don't think we should be too arrogant here. If there are, are people or organizations or institutions we can partner with to get things done faster or at bigger scale, we want to do that. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So then you say to me, well, Mark, why would you work with an organization that in the past has been a big polluter? And my answer would be, that's exactly why we want to work with them. We believe, and I believe very strongly, take business for example, it's usually in business's best interest to do the right thing environmentally. Sometimes they don't know that. Sometimes it requires taking a longer view than business people sometimes do. But TNC likes to engage and use our science and great experience elsewhere and show business leaders you can do things in a way that are better for the environment and also better for your bottom line. And imagine if we can change the behavior of companies that used to be big polluters, make their behavior better, demonstrate that it's better for their bottom line. If we do that, then their, their peers and competitors will imitate them, and that's a path to scale up progress. So that's why we do it. But we're not naive. We know there are bad actors out there. We try only to work with companies and individual business leaders who we really believe in. We disclose everything we do, because we know there's some nervousness about this, so we disclose everything. If we make some mistakes, and we may, a lot of this work hasn't been done before, we'll say, sorry for the mistake, we're going to learn from this and do better. So, you know, you have to be a little bit humble about it. But, but I really do believe there's a great opportunity to scale up our impact through these kinds of partnerships. It sounds like judo environmentalism. Yeah, I think a that's a bit. good way to put it. Judo, it's being adaptable, it's being open-minded, it's being uh, not afraid of taking some risk. If you make a mistake, learn from it and change direction. And, you know, again, businesses do this all the time. Why shouldn't that make sense in the nonprofit or environmental space? Right. What do you think it would take for other corporations to get on board with this vision of saving the world? What, what's holding them back? Well, first, I think it's going pretty well. More and more business leaders understand for a variety of reasons they've got to try hard to do the right thing. First, you know, most businesses, if you think about it, if we're right about our own environmental forecast, where these, whereas in which these issues are going to become bigger and bigger challenges, that's going to impact business too. So most businesses know they have to deal with this. Plus, 
Most businesses, a big, a big competitive strategy for most businesses is trying to hire and retain, you know, quote, the best and the brightest. That's why these companies come and, and recruit at your business school. And young people today want to work for companies whose values align with theirs. Um, and likewise, customers feel that way. Um, and, and likewise, companies don't have an evergreen license to operate wherever they want with bad practices. The world's not like that anymore. It's a very transparent world. So there are a number of motives for businesses to try, to be inclined to figure out if there's a better way to do business. And then that's where we come in. We think we have real evidence that, that this really pays off. Sometimes it takes a longer view. Sometimes, you know, there's some, it's not simple. And so, you know, you might stumble a bit until you really gain the momentum. But we really think the momentum is going this way. Other people say, well, what about the bad guys out there, the laggards, the businesses with bad practices? Well, that's important to consider, too. For sure, we need strong regulatory processes to go after bad guys. So that's an also, also an important part of the equation. So let's switch gears a little bit towards leadership. You're here for a talk on leadership and, and other, other topics. What prepared you, uh, being a um, Goldman Sachs partner, what prepared you for this role? Well, I feel very fortunate to have been able to make the transition from being a banker on Wall Street to leading the Nature Conservancy. It, it's a great honor, of course, and uh, I'm determined to do my very best. Um, it's a great responsibility and honor. I do think, though, that people with backgrounds in the business sector have an opportunity also to engage effectively in the nonprofit world, whether in the environmental sector in general, or at TNC, or with other nonprofits. In my case, back in my Wall Street days, I was encouraged by the firm's leadership to get involved in the nonprofit sector. And I served on a number of boards. Some of them were very small, but you can learn a lot through that kind of engagement in the nonprofit world. And I think that helped my transition. Um, and then what we need in the nonprofit space are business skills are very handy. It's not the only thing we need. We need, you know, at TNC, we've got a lot of scientists, we have long term conservationists, we have fundraisers, we have all kinds of program people. Those skills are essential. But what business people can bring to the mix is uh, skill at collaboration, bringing people together to get things done. I think that's really important in today's complex and somewhat polarized world. We need focus, people who focus on financial efficiency. We're nonprofits now. My organization, the Nature Conservancy, happens to be a rather big nonprofit. We're lucky, we have a lot of great supporters. But even if we're big, capital is still precious for us. So that financial acumen and management acumen to make sure, sure you're deploying resources in the best way to earn the highest returns, that's very important. Um, strategic planning is very important even maybe more than in the business world. Of course, business people want to think very hard in their competitive fields about planning ahead. But I think it's harder in the nonprofit space. We don't have the same metrics. It's a bit murkier, what will work and what won't work. But that doesn't make it any less important. I think it makes it more important. So um, I always want to encourage business people to get in involved with the nonprofit space. We'd love for them to be involved in the environmental sector. I'm eager to, you know, to. TNC's horn, but I'll acknowledge there are a lot of great environmental nonprofits. We're all a little bit different. We have different strategies. People should find the ones they're most interested in, find ways to volunteer and support. There's lots of ways to do it, you know, to suit your own schedule. 
I'll tell you another thing. The people I know who do that, people in the private sector who are engaged with nonprofit lives, it changes their lives. It's, it's a fulfilling way to spend your time and be engaged and to give back. So being a great leader is in part about the results that your organization achieves. Um, now, curious, what results would you point to at TNC? And I know there's a lot of great people working on behalf of the organization, but really want to focus in on your role as the leader in achieving those results. What is it that you were doing to achieve Well, them? I should be humble about my, my role at the Nature Conservancy. First, I mean, the Nature Conservancy is about 65 years old today and has been a great, great organization with extraordinary accomplishments for every one of those years. So the organization was in great shape before I showed up. <laughs> and had I never showed up, the organization would be in great shape. We've got to start with that. Um, I am proud of what we have accomplished at the organization since I joined in mid-2008, but that's been very much of a team effort, too. Um, so I'm one member of the team, but there's a, we have a great board, I've got a great executive team, and throughout TNC we've got great people on our staff, and our volunteer leaders are very important. But what are some of the things we're doing? Um, I'd name a couple. Um, <coughs> we're really trying, we, we, we were historically uh, kind of a place-based regionally organized organization. And so you could say in certain respects we were kind of a collection of a number of very good small regional units. And that's not bad. We were able to accomplish a lot that way. But when we thought about the very complex world that we deal with in our work today, we thought we needed to be more than the sum of our parts. And so today I think we've come a long way at being a highly aligned single organization all those regional units are, are joining forces and, and, and we're, we're pulling the oar in one direction and I think that allows us to accomplish even more. So I'm proud of that. I think we've made a lot of progress in the financial area. We now are raising so-called impact capital. So this means investor provided capital at better than market financial terms to lever up our precious donor capital to allow us to do even more. So it's right out of an investment banker's playbook but we're lowering our cost of capital, and I think this will have applicability across the environmental space and with other nonprofits. I'm proud of that. We're making big bets on science. TNC's always been a leader in science, and we have every right to be proud of our historic role. But again, as we think about the really complex things we have to do going forward, we need even better science. So we're doubling down our investment in science, and we're learning how to access science in academia, first-rate intellectual science, and make it applicable to in, in the real world. And finally, I'm proud of our collaboration with all kinds of unlikely allies. We've, I think we're making great progress with the private sector, including companies with, I would say, controversial past records as polluters. We're showing them it makes business sense to be better environmental citizens. We're trying to do the same thing politically. You know, sadly, environmental issues have become partisan issues all around the world, but especially in the U.S. But we're in a good position to address that. We have a chapter in every state, so that means the blue states and the red states. We have volunteer leaders or trustees in every state representing all parties. We're trying to use that nonpartisan, pragmatic, science-based starting point to lower the partisan rhetoric that gets in the way of progress to bring people together, find common ground, and build from there. Final question. Um, what one question would you tell leaders to ask themselves, and why? Well, um, the thing I think about is, um, as a leader, is am I doing everything I can 
to allow my great team to make uh, each, each member of the team his or her biggest contribution. I, think, I sometimes think we leaders get caught up in what we're doing and the press of business, but we have to remember it's not so much about us. It's rather what can we do to really unleash that great team we've put together to achieve the biggest impact. Well, thank you very much for your time, Mark. Thank you.